Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you as a part of the Quad City family. And for the very first time, would you guys help me welcome our campus in Prescott Valley, who are joining us right now today. Today is the soft launch of our Prescott Valley campus, so welcome to all of you who are in PV. We're so glad to have you uh, with us as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to begin today, Matthew 28. Um, If you've been around for the last few months, then you have probably recognized that we are moving into a brand new season of ministry here as Quad City Christian Church. Uh, It'll start Well, it's already started, but in about a month, we're going to be having our 100th year anniversary celebration, which we're really excited about that. We'll be doing that on a Friday night, 100-year celebration. Um, Along with that came a new campus there in Prescott Valley, which we're launching starting today. So excited about where God's going to take that campus. It came with a name change, right, where we begin to understand, hey, we want to be a church not just focused on Prescott, but because we are all from the Quad City in some various form or fashion, we want to reach the Quad City. And so we came with a new name change. And then last week, we shared with you that because of our name change, because of our new bigger vision, that we needed to articulate our mission a little bit differently. And so that's what we've been doing uh, for the last couple of weeks and months. And we started it rolling it out to you guys last week. Pastor Kenny shared, here it is again, that Quad City Christian Church exists to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. This is our mission. And this mission isn't something that we just came up with on our own. It actually comes from Scripture. Jesus himself gave us what we call the Great Commission. And here's what he says, starting in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
So these were the marching orders that Jesus left with his disciples, and they've been passed down to every generation of disciples since then. And our desire is not to change the mission. That's not what we're here to do. But we are here to articulate the mission in such a way that each of us can grab a hold of it, knowing that if this is the mission of the church of Jesus, then if we are part of the church of Jesus, this has to become our mission too. So we're taking a few weeks and we're going to break down our mission statement to make sure that we all understand the intent behind each of these words. And hopefully it will inspire us to orient our life around making this mission come to pass. So Again, last week, Pastor Ken uh, hit the first part of the mission where we talked about making more disciples. We're here to make more disciples. Again, that's what Jesus told us to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what making more disciples is. It's baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout the world. That's our number one goal. That's what we've been commanded to do is to go make more disciples. There's a lot of other things that we can do, a lot of other good that we should do, but they are all secondary to the mission of making more disciples. But it doesn't just end with making more disciples where we share the gospel, dunk people, get them up and run away. There's a whole nother layer to it. It's not just about making more disciples. It's also about making better disciples. And maybe you're asking, well, where do you get that? Well, right in our commission here. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the more part. And here's the better part, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what it means to become a better disciple of Jesus. Because we need to remember, what is a disciple? When he says, go make disciples, what's he talking about? A disciple is a learner, is a follower. It is somebody who is learning to be like someone else, okay? A disciple is not just someone who knows what their teacher knows or believes what their teacher believes or even teaches what their teacher teaches. A disciple is someone who does what their teacher does. A disciple, the goal of a disciple is to become like their teacher. Become like them. Not just believe what they believe, not know what they know, but do what they do. In fact, the Apostle John, the disciple who's probably closer to Jesus than anybody else, he articulated it this way. This is how we know we are in Christ. This is how we know. You want to know? Here's how you know. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Not just pray as he prayed, not believe what he believed, but to live as Jesus lived. That's what a disciple does. He articulates it a little further. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. You want confidence when you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment? Here's how you get it. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is, this is what discipleship is about. It's about living as Jesus did in this world. 
Not someday over the rainbow, not in the by and by, not when you're taking the dirt nap. You live as Jesus did. We are like Jesus in this world. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that you and I are living like Jesus in this world, learning to obey everything, acting like Jesus did here and now. By being a disciple of Jesus, it means becoming like him. We become like him. That doesn't instantly happen when you come up out of the baptistry. I mean, I wish it did. I wish you came to faith, prayed the prayer, repented, confessed, were baptized, popped up, and boom, there you are. You you immediately start living as Jesus did for the rest of your life. I wish that happened, but that's not how it happens. We have to to take another step. We become disciples of Jesus— When we come to faith in him, repent, believe, confess, be baptized, when we do those things, we, the scripture says we are justified by faith. We, when we are justified, we become his disciples when those things happen. But there's a whole nother section of your journey with Jesus. The Bible term is called sanctification, where we slowly are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's a long process. We'll spend the rest of our lives becoming better disciples by looking and living as Jesus did in this world. That's what it means to become a better disciple. Now, again, I need to clarify. When I say that we as a church exist to make better disciples, I'm not saying we make better disciples in the church down the street. Like, they're D-level Christians. We make better disciples over here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about making better disciples than are down your row, like you look down the row and I'm a better disciple than that person, right? It's not what I'm talking about. If you think that's what it's about, then you can guarantee you're not a, deci- a better disciple. You're just not, okay? You're just not. When we're talking about existing to make better disciples, what we're talking about is that we're making better disciples than we were five years ago that I'm a better disciple than I was two years ago, that I'm a better disciple than I was two hours ago. The goal is for us to become better disciples than we were. And then we just keep becoming better disciples as we seek to live as Jesus did, as we seek to, in this world, be like Jesus. That's our goal. That's the mission. That's the mission. We're not talking about anybody else's faith. We're talking about our faith. Now, you've all heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. That's wrong. That is a lie. Practice does not make perfect, okay? Perfect doesn't exist. It's an illusion. But what practice does is practice makes progress. Practice makes progress. You will never be a perfect disciple, but you can keep progressing as a disciple. In this life, we should be making progress in our obedience to Jesus, progress in living as Jesus did, progress of being like him in this world. So the question is, how do we do it? 
How do we become like Him? How do we, in this world, how are we like Him? Before I share that answer, I do want to share three things that won't make you more like Him, okay? Three things that I think a lot of us assume make us better disciples that aren't actually making us better disciples. So let me give you these three real quick. The first one is time. Time. The fact that some of you came to faith 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, does not make you a better disciple today. Here's the truth. The church, the American church, is full of 50-year-old infants in the faith. Full of them. They, their, their spiritual maturity peaked and then plateaued about three months after they got kicked out of youth group, okay? And they, they haven't grown since. Just being a Christian for a long time does not guarantee that you're becoming a better disciple. Time doesn't do it. Attendance doesn't do it. You showing up to church once a month or twice a month or even every Sunday does not guarantee you're becoming a better disciple. I can tell you that there are so many people who have been a part of this church for a really long time, who've shown up year after year after year, even served at different seasons in their life, and yet spiritually they're largely unchanged for a decade. They're still critical. They're still self-centered. They're still greedy. They're still grumpy. They're still brash and prideful and immature. And it's so common that Scripture actually gives a warning for people like this. It comes from Hebrews chapter 6. The warning says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. He says, look, we're all like a big piece of land, like a, like a field. And when we come to church, we hear the word of God, the word of God, it rains down on our lives like rain in a field. And those who receive the rain of the word of God into their lives and, and it produces a crop useful for those for whom it's farmed, they're receiving the blessing of God. That's good. You want that. But there are some who are like a field, who, who show up and they receive the rain of the word of God over and over and over again in their life. And what gets produced? Nothing but thorns and thistles. Nothing but thorns and thistles. Same word. But, it, but what's getting produced is thorns and thistles. And he says, that, that's worthless. And not only is it worthless, that person is in danger of being cursed. Like the land, we receive the word week after week, but it never produces fruit. Why? Because they don't do anything with it. Coming and hearing the word over and over again hasn't changed anything in their life. It hasn't made them stop doing things they should stop doing. And it hasn't made them start doing things that they need to start doing. They just come and they receive it and they check the box and they go home and they're unchanged. And scripture says, you better be careful. Land that's drinking in the rain like that, it's worthless. And it's about to be cursed. Attendance. Attendance doesn't make you a better disciple. 
Number three, desire. Desire doesn't make you a better disciple. Having the desire to become a better disciple is a must. But desire alone won't make it happen. These are like the same people who every year it's like, this is the year I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to work out. This is the year. This is the year I'm going to save some money. This year I'm going to I'm going to run a marathon. This is the year I'm going to speak Mandarin by December. I'm going to I'm going to do it. Got the desire, but then you ask them, "Well, what's your plan?" Don't really have a plan. Just hope it happens. And it's not going to happen unless you have a plan to make it happen. Desire alone won't make you a better disciple. Hear this today. Good intentions don't produce good fruit. Good intentions doesn't produce good fruit. So, how do we become better disciples of Jesus? How do we as a church help others to become better disciples of Jesus? Again, I just need to throw a couple more caveats before I give you the answer to that. A couple of the caveats are this. There is no formula for making people become better disciples of Jesus. There's no formula for this. It's not like I can say, well, just read these two books and memorize these five verses and join this group, and in one year, you'll be a better disciple. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did, but it doesn't. You can't flowchart discipleship. You just can't. It isn't linear. It isn't linear. We like things that go up and to the right, right? We, we just want things just getting bigger, better all the time, up and to the right. Everything's just getting bigger and better. We want that in our spiritual life, but becoming a disciple rarely ever works that way. It just doesn't. Here's the truth. Discipleship is messy. It's messy if you're trying to become a better disciple And it's really messy if you're trying to help somebody else become a better disciple. It's messy. And it's sporadic. And you will often have these seasons where you get to experience amazing growth and maturity and intimacy with Jesus. And then immediately that season is followed by another season that is full of frustration and emptiness and backsliding. And you're like, how did this happen? Contrary to what we've been led to believe in the American church, there is no step-by-step discipleship process. Again, here's what you can count on. If growing as a disciple is important to you, if helping others grow as a disciple is important to you, here's what you can guarantee. It will be much slower and much harder than you think it should be. And there will be more frustrations and more pitfalls than you imagine there could be. Again, both in your own life and in the life of the people you're trying to help. So where does that leave us? If there is no formula, if there is no step-by-step process, if there's no foolproof model or manual, then how do we become better disciples of Jesus? And how do we fulfill our mission to make better disciples of Jesus? Well, again, we can't make disciples like you make widgets in a factory. It's way more organic than that. But 
if you want to grow as a disciple, if you want to become a better disciple of Jesus, there are some intentional decisions that you can make to set your soul up to grow in your obedience to Jesus. Remember the expectation. And what did John tell us? Remember, the expectation is to live like Jesus in this world. That's what becoming a better disciple looks like, is to be like Jesus. And so if that's what discipleship is, living like Jesus, then the way that we can grow in our discipleship is to begin doing the things that Jesus did. Okay, and so I want to share with you today some things that Jesus did. You want to be a better disciple? You want to look like Jesus in this world? Then let's be a church that are doing the things that Jesus did. Let's make these a regular part of our life. I've got eight of them. Let's go real quick. Number one, you should engage with great Bible teachers. The fact that Jesus did this amazes me. The fact that Jesus would engage any other teacher. He is, he is the word incarnate. And yet, he engaged with Bible teachers. You remember he was 12 years old and Mary and Joseph took the family to Jerusalem, traveled several days journey to be at a festival in Jerusalem. They, after the festival was over, they all making the trek home and Mary and Joseph and all the rest of the clan from the town are all together and they get to the first stopping point after a day's journey and they look around and they can't find Jesus. A little freaked out and they run back into Jerusalem and they can't find him, not for one day, not for two days, three days they can't find him. I mean, you helicopter parents, imagine not having your kid right by your side, knowing where they're at for three days. That's what happened. Ultimately, they find Jesus in the temple. And do you remember what he was doing? After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus, 12 years old, sitting in the temple, not just attending, engaging, listening intently, asking questions, engaging teachers of the word of God even though he was the son of God. Do you remember how the text ends? And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He engaged and he grew by listening to engaging teachers. And that's what we need to be striving to do, is to be engaging with teachers who help us understand the word of God understand the beauty of Christ, God's gifted teachers to help us all to learn the word so that we can become more like Jesus. And I hope that being a part of Quad City Christian is part of this for you, that you see this as engaging in good Bible teaching. But if not, that's fine, because right now in your pocket, you literally have more Christian content, more great Bible teaching than any person in the history of the universe has ever had access to. You have it in your pocket. Literally millions of hours of God-honoring, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled gospel preaching in your pocket. 
You have more access than any person in history, which is why it baffles me. I cannot understand how it is that we have so much access to so great a biblical teaching. And yet at this moment in the American church, we have the disciples who are the most biblically illiterate that we have ever had since the Bible was printed. How does that go together? That we are the most biblically ignorant that we've ever been and yet have the e- have more access to free, free, free content in your pocket than you've ever had. It's because we've not really been interested in becoming better disciples of Jesus. And we have nobody to blame but us. You want to become a better disciple of Jesus, then engage great Bible teachers. Know the Word. Here's number two. You have to practice spiritual disciplines on your own. It's great to have teachers who teach us, but we also have to practice spiritual disciplines, be in the presence of the Father for ourselves. Jesus made this his habit. He, he fought off temptation by quoting scripture that he had memorized. He would often get up early before light and go off and pray. He would walk away from ministry opportunities to go get refilled with the Father. Jesus had spiritual disciplines to refuel his own soul. And if Jesus needs those types of spiritual disciplines, how much more do we? Number three, you need to be in spiritual community. You need to be spiritual community. And let me add this caveat. You need to be in spiritual community where confession and repentance are common. Remember, Jesus had spiritual community. He had the 12. Beyond the 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John, who knew him better than anyone. But his spiritual community even went beyond that. He had people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The text says that he loved these people. These were his spiritual community. And he prayed with them, and he cried with them, and he wept with them, and he taught them, and he listened to them. He did life with them. Here's what you need to remember today. Becoming a better disciple will require you to be around better disciples. If you want to be a better disciple, then you got to be around better disciples than you who can teach you to be a better disciple. People who are going to rebuke you and encourage you and confront you and restore you. People who will ask hard questions and not walk away when things get difficult. Here's number four. You must find a place to serve. You got to find a place to serve. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus quoting here says, look, I, the son of man, I did not come to earth as the king of the conquering king to be served. I came to serve. And if you are a disciple of him, then you have to do what he does. That's what a disciple means. Disciple means becoming like your teacher. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it means you need to adopt an attitude that I did not come to be served, but to serve. 
So where in your life today are you consistently showing up not to get something, but to give something? Not to be poured into, but to pour out what has been poured into you. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Number five, you need to obey, especially when you disagree. Again, this comes straight from the Great Commission. Go, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything. That's what discipleship is. It's becoming obedient to Jesus in everything. Now, my guess is most of you have a heart that says, I want to obey specifically in the places you agree with Jesus. Like where it is that you and Jesus are on the same page, yeah, I want to obey there. The problem is there's way too many of us who have felt comfortable disobeying Jesus in the places we don't agree with him. Because we've been convinced, I don't have to obey if I don't agree. But let me remind you for the thousandth time as your pastor, if you only obey the parts of the Bible that you agree with, Jesus is not your Lord, you are. If you only obey the parts of the Bible that you agree with, Jesus is not your Lord, you are. Because you have made yourself the final authority. Which means Jesus is not your Lord. Becoming a better follower of Jesus means we obey, especially when we don't agree, because that's what Jesus did. Remember the night before Jesus died, he's in Gethsemane, and he's praying, and sweats of drops of blood are coming from his head, and he's praying, Father, take this cup from me. Do not make me do this. I don't want to die. But yet, Not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what that last phrase teaches us? That in that moment, Jesus' will and God's will were not the same. Which is why he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. I want one thing, you want another, but I will surrender what I want to what you want. Jesus obeyed even when he didn't agree. And that's what he's calling us to do. In my 25 years of pastoral ministry, here's where you're going to bump into this the most, where you're going to decide to do your will above the Father's will. Here's the two areas that's going to happen. It's going to be surrounding sex and it's going to be surrounding money. Those two things are going to be the things that you most likely are going to convince yourself, because I don't agree, I don't have to obey. With my money related to the generosity that God displays and asks us to put on display. No, 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 I'll just spend my money and I'll give if I want, but I'm not going to be compelled. Secondly, around sexual habits that you have fostered in your life that frankly you just want to keep because you like them. And you know what God says, but you don't really care. And because you don't agree with what he says, you'll just keep doing what you want. And you can't 
become a better disciple of Jesus when you refuse to obey the one that you call your Lord. Number six, when you become a better disciple of Jesus, you can't run from suffering. Can't run from suffering. The Apostle Paul told the church of Philippi, he says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted for you to suffer because that's what Jesus did. He suffered. Suffering is sanctifying. Suffering is sanctifying. Seeking, seeking out your own comfort almost never makes you look more like Jesus. Seeking out your own comfort almost never makes you look more like Jesus in this life. Suffering is sanctifying. It is one of God's greatest tools to make you look like Jesus. And I will guarantee that if you look around today, think about some people in your life who are further down the journey with Jesus than you are, who look more like Jesus today than you do. You sit down and you ask them the question, ask them to share their story. And I guarantee part of their story will involve a season of suffering. It will involve some suffering, a hard season in a marriage, the death of a child, some infertility, an illness, a stint in a Mexican prison. You will find suffering in their story, something that they endured. And often what you'll hear them say is, I would never, ever, ever want to go back and have to walk through that again. But given the chance today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't undo it because of what God did through it in me. Suffering is sanctifying. It's one of God's greatest tools. And if you choose to run every time discomfort comes, you aren't living like Jesus in this world. Number seven, you have to forgive fully. Like you have to forgive Again, think about Jesus on the cross. He's nailed there on the cross and he looks down and what does he see but a soldier at his feet still holding the hammers that pinned him to the cross. And in that moment, Jesus looked down and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. One of the biggest reason some of you aren't becoming better disciples of Jesus is because you have settled for becoming bitter disciples of Jesus. And you're hanging on to a hurt and you can't be like your ever forgiving savior when you forgive, when you refuse to forgive others. You can't. Here's number eight. You must share the good news of Jesus. Again, obeying everything. The Great Commission says, teach them to obey everything. And teaching you to obey everything requires me to teach you to obey the Great Commission. You have to go share your faith. And we'll talk about what that looks like more in the next few weeks. But you sharing your faith, sharing the good news is not just for other people. It also has a huge side benefit for you. Paul, writing to Philemon, says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. 
Paul says to Philemon, I pray that when you're sharing your faith, that it is through the sharing of your faith that it actually becomes effective for full knowledge, that when you share it, you actually gain knowledge of all of the good things that are in us for the sake of Christ. For those of you who've ever had to teach something, I don't even care what it is, you can sit through a class seven times in a row, and then the teacher says, oh, wait, I need you to teach this thing next week. And all of a sudden, it's like, <gasps> I sat through it seven times, but it isn't real to me. You know when it becomes real to me? When I have to go teach it to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing things and understanding things and connecting the dots and helping to clarify stuff for people. When I teach it, when I share the thing, all of a sudden, it becomes really real to me. That's what Paul says happens when we share our faith. That it is through the sharing of faith that it becomes effective for the full knowledge of all the good things that are in us through Christ. You sharing your faith isn't just about what other people get, it's about what you get. Because you begin to understand the goodness of the gospel in a way you never could before. So here they are, these eight things. And there are hundreds of others that I could put up here. You want to grab your phone? Take a snapshot. These are the eight that I want you to focus on today. And here's my application for today. I want you to pick one of these. Just pick one. Here's the reality. Again, this isn't something that we can formulate. We can't, we can't manufacture this. But doing these things cultivates an opportunity for us to be made more like Jesus. And some of them happen organically. Like nobody's leaving out here today. Oh, I choose number six. I'm going to go find ways to suffer today. That'd be great. <laughs> some of it happens organically. Some of you have people in your life that has created a spiritual community that you never sought. It just showed up and it has changed your life. Some of it's, it's just organic. It just happens. You can't plan for it. But even though it's organic, there are ways that we can try to cultivate it organizationally as a church, which is why we do things like student ministry, because we want our students to be around great Bible teachers, to hear the word of God and let them be taught. That's why we have men's ministry and women's ministry, so that if you don't have that spiritual community, there's a place that you might be able to go find it. It's why we offer uh, opportunity, discipleship opportunities like uh, our discipleship groups or called to obedience to help teach you how to forgive, because some of you know how, you know you need to forgive, you just don't know how to forgive. And we have opportunities through those environments to give you tools to to practice forgiveness. It's why we do things like no, grow, go, which not only helps you to understand your faith in learning and serving Jesus, but also gives you the tools to go share that faith with other people. It's why we have volunteer opportunities across every environment in this church. It's not just so that we could pull off Sunday morning. It's also to give you an opportunity to be like your Savior, to show up to somewhere and to to not come to be served, but to serve. We, we can't make any of these things happen. We can't manufacture them, but we can cultivate these things. We can cultivate them. Giving God an opportunity to use them to make us more like Jesus. So here's the question for you. Which one do you need to do today? Which one do you need to take advantage of today? Which one do you need to put into practice today? 
For some of you, it's I need to, I need to go practice some spiritual disciplines. I've gotten lazy and I've stopped. I, I used to do it when I was young and excited in the faith, and now I'm old in the faith, and my, dr- my drive for spiritual discipline is gone, and I can't imagine why my love for Jesus is waning. Huh. For some of you, it's, hey, you need to obey. You know you have that thing in your life, and you've convinced yourself that you don't agree, so you don't have to obey, and it's time for you to knock it off because it's the thing that's keeping you from becoming like Jesus. Because you're refusing to obey, and yet you call him Lord. Jesus says, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Are you kidding? Some of you need to to obey, specifically because you disagree, and experience what it means to surrender to your Savior. I don't know which one it is. Don't pick all eight. By by Tuesday, I'm going to do all of them. It's going to be great. No, (laughs) pick one. It's slow, it's meticulous, it's messy, it's hard. Pick one. Pick one. Put yourself in a position to let the Word of God and the people of God help you become a better disciple of Jesus. Lord, I pray today that you would make it very clear to us which one of these we need to put into practice, which one of these we need to cultivate. what our next step is so that we become better disciples of Jesus so that we can help others become better disciples of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work in us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.